Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right, good day and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Live the Fuel show. So this evening, it is a fine Friday evening here on the East Coast, and uh, we're tapping in to Utah this evening with our latest new guest co-host. And uh, this gentleman got referred from another prior guest co-host because that's the power of networking. And actually, I like to go beyond networking. I've said this before on the show. It's really about connecting. And I want you, ladies and gentlemen, to, to think about that word because the brand that we're going to discuss today, the, the, the mission, I would like to call it, is we're going to discuss a little bit about your mark on the world. And uh, I really want to tie this back to connecting. But let me give you the quick skinny on our latest new guest co-host this evening. This gentleman might know a little bit about podcasting, just a little bit. He's got me beat. He's a best-selling <laughs> author. He's a new media journalist, calls himself a champion of social good. Oh, you, again, back to that, your mark on the world. Travels extensively. I'm a fan. Just got back from Vail, Colorado. Loves his volunteer work. Well, I just founded my own foundation six months ago, so I'm obviously, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it before. I'm a big fan of volunteering and giving back. But, I mean, he's journalist uh, to Finding Heroes. He's a speaker. He loves sharing everything he learns. He's contributed to Forbes. I can't even tell you how many times. Uh, I mean, this guy knows how to reach audiences. And we're going to dig into this more because, again, he's produced 1,200 episodes of his Your Mark on the World show. So there's a lot more to this gentleman. Without further ado, Devin Thorpe, welcome to the show, sir. It is such an honor. My good golly, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm unworthy. <laughs> unworthy. I bow to master. Wow. Uh, I don't even know where to go with that. All I'm going to say is, uh, thank God I put my waiters on uh, before we started the show. <laughs> But uh, you, you and I just chatted, what, two weeks ago? Yeah, about two weeks ago. I was you were traveling. so kind to invite me to be on the show. I'm so I honored. Oh, I think you and I dialed in while I was literally in my car. And yes, I was traveling through Rochester, New York. That's right. I was up there traveling across the upstate from Buffalo to Rochester to Syracuse. And uh, oh, let's pause on that because after you and I spoke, the next day I was traveling to Syracuse. And I almost got, I don't want to say killed. I mean, that's kind of intense. But uh, I, got li- I got literally attacked by flying scrap metal uh, while doing 70 miles an hour down the I-90 interstate. So uh, a giant 18-wheeler, their, their tarp of restraining str- uh, straps had torn off, and the guy uh-huh. didn't know it. And next thing you know, he went under an overpass, and that shift of airflow popped a couple of literally big pieces of scrap metal piping and they started flying through the air. And I, I did a whole podcast about uh, situational awareness and defensive driving and everything else after this, because I was like, dear God, dear God, like if that metal goes through my windshield, I could have a serious problem. And luckily I, uh, again, I watched it, I tracked it and at the last second changed lanes. So it did not go through my windshield, but bounced off the side of my car and left like a fist-sized dent in the passenger side of the car, which will be fixed in a couple of weeks. But I figured that'd be fun to catch up with you about since it literally happened the next day after you and I talked. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you survived that. Holy cow. It got dangerous because I felt so bad. The guy guy pulled over within like a half a mile, realized there was a problem. I pull over in front of his giant truck 
And then another car pulls over. I felt bad for these guys. The whole front end of their car was torn apart. There was pieces of plastic hanging off. I guess whatever I missed, they couldn't get out of the way of and drove right over it. And they were all freaked out. And it was crazy. So, um, but hey, it's, yeah. you know, these are first world problems, I guess. I, we were joking well, around before I hit record today. I was like, okay, I can get the car fixed. Hey, I even have a car, right? I mean, there's right, people right. in this world that don't even know what a car is. So, yeah. So let's you know, it is it, it is one of the great things right. about our lifetime that since I was born, you're younger than I am, but since I was born, the world has changed in ways that are so dramatic we sometimes fail to recognize. But when I was born, more than 50% of the world's population lived in extreme poverty. Hmm. I mean, they didn't have enough food to eat, didn't have access to clean water, no 50%. place to use the bathroom. 50%. 50% of the world's population, over a billion and a half people. Today, less than 10% of the world's population lives like that. Wait, less so let's, 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 let's connect that timeline. So how many decades is that? What would you say? It's five and a half decades. Five and a half decades. Years. Wow. That's it's so... just amazing. Uh, so this is a good you know, thing, so right? So more and more people are having to deal with these stupid first world problems. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So, so that's, I never really thought about it that way. Oh, darn. We're slowly, yeah. possibly positively turning this world around. Yeah. And adding more problems to people's lives along the <laughs> yeah, way. That's right. <laughs> they got to deal with more of the crap that we have to deal with. Like, uh, how do I get the light right on my YouTube, yeah. you know, shows, right? Yeah. yeah right. Like, oh my God. I, I, I now have a ring light, uh, improving yeah. my lighting. You know, <laughs> it's like we were, we were, <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen, we were literally just joking around about this before we went live. Actually, depending on how fast the Facebook connection went up, we are streaming this live on live the fuel. Uh, so who knows? Maybe that, maybe that made it into the, uh, into the shop before I hit record. So but that could be fun. So that's, that's the beauty of going live, ladies and gentlemen. If we have the technology, we try and take advantage of it uh, because that's right. This will be already live out in the Facebook world as you and I are talking tonight until weeks from now when this show airs in the podcast world. So yeah, that's fun. And you know, that's the other beauty. Let's, let's pause on that. You've been podcasting now for a long time and yeah. I've been doing it now going on four years. And the other, I mean, back to your little point you just made is this, this impact on the world is that people actually have more of an opportunity to create a voice for themselves, a broader reach in third world countries. Like you can launch a podcast in some of the oh, poorest yeah. regions of Africa. I mean, yeah. it's possible. Absolutely. What are Absolutely. your thoughts on that? I mean, was, it, did you it, ever plan on that is, 50 years ago? <laughs> yeah, nobody would have guessed. Nobody would have guessed. Uh, and that's how I got started. Uh, you know, I, I I was and still do write for Forbes hmm. as a regular Forbes contributor. And uh, what got me in the, into podcasting was uh, doing live Google Hangouts shared with YouTube. Google Hangouts. And I figured out I could embed, you know, that live discussion in a Forbes article. And I did it that way 800 times uh, before I switched over. The last 400 I recorded via Zoom and then shared the recordings rather than sharing them live. Hmm. Um, but it was really uh, uh, kind of an amazing, fun thing to think about being able to do a live broadcast. And you know, sometimes it was people who were in Africa and India, faraway places, talking to them live, sharing it on Forbes, where we actually had a little audience. So, I mean, people were watching all around the world. It was really cool. I um, love the fact that, obviously, you, there's a lot of people nowadays who have been able to contribute to Forbes 
but you did it obviously in a very, very positive way. And I do love the fact that Forbes allowed you to do that. They, they don't have to let that kind of content go up, but they cared yeah. enough to have that content go up. Yeah, I, I have been really pleased uh, with my relationship with Forbes over the years in so many ways. But uh, they've given me an opportunity to talk about issues that matter uh, even though they're not always, you know, the most clicky kinds of topics, right? That's Sometimes true. Something's going to be edgy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I'm writing about uh, carbon credits, carbon offsets, I'll tell you, I mean, it's it's like click repellent. Uh, <laughs> I, I, That's sad, right? I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't want to laugh at that, but I mean, I'm laughing because it does crack me up. I'm like, first it of does. all, let's pause on that. There's people hearing this right now. They're like, what does he mean by <laughs> yeah. carbon stuff? Like, I mean, obviously yeah. we talk about the environment, correct? Yeah. 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 So uh, let's yeah. expand on that for some of the newer listeners. They might be like, well, I want to know more. What does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, carbon offsets, uh, people have been hearing about carbon credits, carbon offsets, as a background discussion for at least 20 years. Oh, definitely. And I think most of us have come, it's, it's become a thing we associate with large corporations and oftentimes large polluters doing to offset their carbon output. And some of us have even become skeptical of it because we view it as a way to avoid actually reducing our carbon output. But oh, good point. The, the market for this has really simplified so that Ordinary people, you and I can visit a website called Cool Effect, and for 20 bucks a month, we can offset all of our carbon output. And that's pretty remarkable. And you say, well, wouldn't it be better to reduce our own carbon? They say, well, yes, that would be better. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to reduce our carbon output to zero. I mean, to really get to a carbon neutral level. As a as an individual is really challenging. Oh, become like a another full time job, basically. It would. It's really hard. And I've I've you know read some of the blogs of people that have talked about and podcasts where they've talked about how they've done this. And it's like really hard. It's easy to make the first reductions, right? And we mm-hmm. all ought to do some basic things. We ought to reduce our energy waste. We ought to drive an electric vehicle. You know, there's some things that are fun and easy to do. Then it gets actually, hard. it's funny you pause on that. Um, the whole electric vehicle thing. I mean, actually, my yeah. brother-in-law and his partner, his cousin, who run their construction company, they chose to switch over to Teslas uh, as their company cars. As you know, when they go to job sites yeah. and everything else, and I was like, "Wow, that's." I mean, they're they they build commercial buildings. Uh, so obviously the, the company's gotten more successful because Teslas aren't cheap, but, yeah. uh, but right. then there's people who argue that, well, is driving a Tesla reducing the carbon footprint because for example, the technology required to create those battery cells, Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to suggest that there are no complexities around that. It isn't mm-hmm. that simple, but the fact remains that, uh, you know, mining is messy, mm-hmm. but that's what, you know, another word for drilling for oil is mining for oil, right? So that's messy, has the same kind of toxic environmental output. In fact, I would argue worse. Oh, like the mining for the materials. Yeah. yeah. And it, for a Tesla, it happens one time. And a Tesla will last for 300,000 miles. In mm. fact, Tesla just b- bought a patent for battery technology that would last uh 
up to 100 years. Can you imagine buying a Tesla when you are in your 20s, driving it until you retire, and then leaving it to your grandchildren to drive another 30 years? It That'd be pretty wild. Changed. Yeah. That would be pretty wild. And so in that kind of a model, you say, wait a minute, the environmental harm from creating those batteries is not that great when that car lives for 30 years, 50 years, right. 100 years, and is still in service. And the, and the real uh, hack there is, it's kind of funny, Like if, uh, since I was just joking around me being up, up in upstate New York, is it's not just the battery technology, but are the other materials in the vehicles built to last? Um, yeah. Because admittedly, I've got guys who store antique cars in my garage. And cool. Those cars last. I mean, yeah. people underestimate how well vehicles were built. A long time ago and if you keep them clean and you keep well nowadays you have to keep these modern salts and chemicals in the winter time off of your cars or else it'll eat away at the paint and the metal and everything else so if you do a great job and keep your here's a great example yesterday i have a my road warrior for business is i have a subaru outback wagon love it i, have, yeah. I own yeah. it it's paid for it's from 2012 i just turned 250,000 miles on it and it's only wow. a 2012 yeah, yeah. <laughs> my friends like so you, my friends you like get around oh i get around i get around <laughs> yeah but they're like is that the original motor and i said yeah they're like really and i said yeah it's called maintain your vehicle <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> so now my new goal is i want to hit because a friend of mine posted on social media the other day that he, he he's like you know what everybody's buying new cars he's like my truck it's been great i own it he just turned uh two 222,222 miles. He posted that on social media. I'm like, good yeah. job, buddy. I'll post, I'll post back to you when I hit 250 in a couple of weeks. And I did. And then, so I was like, great. Now my new goal is to hit threes across the board, right? I want to yeah, hit there that. You go. Just like you said, they want Teslas to reach 300,000 miles. I'm like, I don't even have a Tesla, but I'm going to do my damnedest to make that car last as long as possible now, because I want Subaru to reach out to me and give me a pat on the back. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> because companies like Subaru, like yeah. back to what your, your topic here is, they do care about that. Companies like Subaru, yeah. Patagonia uh, for clothing, Tesla. I love these companies who do care about this carbon footprint. Yeah. And I didn't even know we were going to talk about carbon today, but yeah. I'm having, I'm loving it right now. <laughs> and and I really admire the, the the whole auto industry. Without much regulatory pressure in the current environment, you know, California 20 years ago required auto manufacturers to start selling some electric cars in mm -hmm. California. So there was that pressure. Oh, it's been that, 20 years that catalyzed that catalyzed the beginning of electric cars. But but certainly in the United States, in almost no country around the world are people required to drive electric cars. And yet almost all auto manufacturers are now saying, we're making the switch. Hmm. Within a few years, all of our cars will have an electric motor. Some in addition will have an internal combustion engine in, but most are now saying by the end of the decade, our cars will be all electric. You know. That is, I, do I mean, like it's that. really amazing that they are being so forward thinking, but, but what we're seeing is they're, they're better cars. Uh, you know, they go faster and cost less to operate. And by the middle of the decade, we expect the battery costs will be so low that, that, uh, side by side, an internal combustion engine car and an electric car will cost the same if they're otherwise comparable. Well, it's almost Maybe. there now. Uh, my yeah. sa my same brother-in-law that has a Tesla, he got so excited with the tech, 
he's like, you know what? Um, BMW, for example, you know, it's an expensive brand, but mm-hmm. they're very advanced with their engineering and their design. Uh, they make something called the i8. It looks mm-hmm. like a roadster sports car. I mean, oh, some, yeah. some could say car. it's gorgeous. Some could say it looks yeah. almost like a Lamborghini maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he bought one used because it has both technologies. You do have, It starts off as electric, but if you jump on it, it will have a combustion engine kick in. Right, so right. it's cool because he's got the best of both worlds in there. And yeah. he already has the Tesla too. And I'm like, dude, you're actually getting into this really green energy push here, but he's got a really cool car. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the, uh, just yesterday, GM announced it's bringing back the Hummer. And when I saw that, I was just panicked Uh-oh. Oh, because yeah. See, that's, the Hummer is just like the that's worst not car. It's not, <laughs> not, but what they've done is they, they're bringing back uh, the Hummer with a 1000 horsepower electric motor. It, this is, I mean, this is a I'm sorry, almost 1, a tank. With that, it, it's a it's a tank that will go zero to sixty in three seconds. Oh, that's just a scary. tank. That's, that's scary. as fast as the Tesla. Fast Wait. as the Tesla, but it will go zero to six, and it's a tank. Are, so are they bringing it back as the H, the H one design? The, the, the you know, I, because I, that's I, heavy. They <laughs> they I think they're going to announce it at the Super Bowl, and Ooh. they've just released some like hints. Uh, so I haven't shown the full images, but it will mm. be a 2021 model. So this is this is coming out within two years, uh, and it's the, what I love about it. What really gets me excited. I'm not a Hummer guy, no. but I know there are a lot of Hummer guys that are saying I will never drive an electric car, and they'll see that baby, and they're going to say, you know what? I'm driving an electric car. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually. I mean, it's funny. I, I, I just had this conversation the other day. We were discussing, I don't know, engineering and design, geeking out with a buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing how there is a lot of validity to the electric motor. I mean, Tesla's proven it. Look how fast oh, the yeah. 0 to 60 is. Uh, yeah, 2.9 seconds. Right? How's that? <laughs> the, the wear and tear is less. Uh, now, granted, a lot of people in the beginning were pushing back on what it takes to make those batteries. But like anything else in this world and and it's our imprint is it just takes time we we have to perfect it at least they're trying yeah and yeah. think about it. i mean wow you have an electric motor that can move that heavy of a vehicle with less of a carbon footprint because yeah. that's a big yeah. heavy vehicle yeah right? Yeah. So then you take it's, that same concept and carry it over into these bigger SUVs because again let's be real internationally vehicles are usually smaller we do, yes. for some reason, love our big vehicles here in this country. I mean, yeah, bigger is better. Well, yeah, it's our big, long freeways, right? Yeah. If yeah. I'm going to drive from my house to your house, there are, you know, 2,000 miles of open road between them, right? Yep. And I've driven coast to coast in this country four or five times now over the years. And uh, I did it with an older Subaru Outback, and then I did it yeah. with a Jeep. And I said the ride was better in the Subaru. Um, the Jeep, the, I had one of those big four-door Jeep Wranglers because again, the Jeep Wrangler was not built for luxury. That's, you know, it was, it yeah, it was sport. not built for that. No, for but sure. if I would have been driving a Ford Explorer or a Expedition or I don't know one of these bigger, nicer SUVs, they're designed to be more comfy. So yeah, yeah. Wow, humble, no, that is great. I, I I've only done that once, huh. uh, and probably coast to coast maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I drove from New York State. To San Francisco, back to upstate New York. Oh, I'm going to count uh, that. Come on, that's 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 pretty. That's a strong work there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I did it driving an old beat up Honda Civic. There you go. Uh, back in uh, 1990, 
91, no, 92, 91, 92, 92, 93. Anyway, yeah. school break yeah. uh, when I was in grad school, drove the family across. And the, we had a blown head gasket. Oof. But Honda, and, Hondas but, can go on a blown head gasket. So it, it, it drove remarkably well. But every time we would get off the freeway, it would start to overheat. Oh, yeah. Right? On the freeway, it's middle of wintertime. You know, it's zero degrees. Were, were you We're smelling the fine, antifreeze? We'd <laughs> <laughs> pull into town and that thermometer would start just yep. going. So yeah, anyway, you you had survived. the natural airflow of speed to help you keep everything right. in check. And yeah. it was probably helping keep the smell of antifreeze dissipated as well. And then as soon as you slow down, all that's going to come in. Uh, yeah. I mean, how bad was it blown? Were you having to like wipe the inside of the windshield off? Because sometimes those Hondas, man, when you blew the head gaskets, it would, you get a film on the inside of the windshield from from the heater core yeah. pulling that up into the interior. That's right, I, ladies and gentlemen. Well, what I remembered is what we were, yeah, what we were doing is we were running the uh, heat full blast to help suck the uh, heat off the engine. So I mean, Been we were there. just roasting in the car. You know, it's. Freezing cold outside. We're yep. 90 degrees inside, but anyway. My, my, my friend, one of my oldest friends, has always been a Honda guy. And when we were in high school in the 90s, he always drove Hondas. They're usually from the 80s. And yeah, I th- at least two of his Hondas all had blown head gaskets until he got around to fixing them. And that's the hack. You turn the heat on and pull the heat off the motor. And, yeah. and <laughs> hey, when, when you're a poor school kid, you got to do what you got to do. Right? <laughs> that's right. I remember I, we went to the, the dealership and he wanted to replace the, the mechanic wanted to replace the engine. I said, dude, it's just, you know, the money's not there. Hmm. You got to take it apart and replace the gasket for me. And uh, so it was $600 instead of $1,700. And it. he said, I'm not sure it's going to work. I said, dude, I'll work it. I'll make it work. You got to make it work. <laughs> you got to make it work. So he did. He did it and it worked okay. It worked oh, that's, okay. That, my, my wife says, why do you keep fixing this car? Just go buy a new car. And I said, because I like the financial freedom. I know this car. I have the entire maintenance history on it. I bought it certified pre-owned. Uh, yeah. I, and I was like, I, I know what it is and I own it. But why would I go out and buy another car and spend thousands of dollars? She's like, well, because you just spent, you know, six months ago, you spent like, you know, 1500 bucks doing a major repair on the motor. And I said, yeah, but it's still the original motor. So it was like, yeah. I, I, I had the head gaskets updated and actually yeah. it was more proactive. They hadn't even gone yet. And I said, you know what? I put it in the shop. Let's just get it done. I'd rather spend 1500 bucks once a year versus, you know, $400 a month throughout the year. All year. Yeah. 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 But people don't super think like smart. that. You know, super smart. Well, thank you. I, I, I didn't always think that way. <laughs> you know, eventually you pull your head out of your butt and you see, yeah. <laughs> you see a lot of multimillionaires do exactly what I just said. A lot of people don't realize yeah. that. There's a great book yeah. from years ago, um, The Millionaire Next Door, I think, yeah. was one of the books. It's exactly what it was called. That's one of my favorite all-time books. Right? And, and that's brilliant. what we're talking yeah. about here. It's like, yeah. there's, there's some intelligence to this process. Uh, is yeah. this some of the stuff that you picked up over the years as you grew your show? And I mean, again, this is a, yeah. this is a worldwide discussion because in this country, I love our country. I do. I'm very yeah. patriotic. Yeah. But we do not set a great example in a lot of areas. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think you're. I think you're right. Uh, there, there's a lot we could do better uh, around the world. But the United States is is great. Mm-hmm. You know, we we are uh, generous as a country. That's certainly our tradition. Um, certain of our leaders are not as excited about that now as they have in the past. But we have traditionally been a very generous place. 
uh, and the people of the United States, independent of the government, have mm-hmm. tended to be very generous, uh, both to domestic causes and, and international ones. Uh, so yeah, we, we lead the world in charitable giving in uh, lots of ways. And so it's, I'm proud, yeah. certainly like you, to be an American. But um, boy, we, we have uh, carboned up the atmosphere. We've, we've done more of that mm-hmm. than any country on the planet. Really? Even more than China? China? Yes. Oh, yeah. Far more than China. Okay. Far, I, far more. I feel like China's chasing us, and they want that. They want that record right now. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> they they have passed us. Yeah. But let's. Um, it, but that is not because they are emitting more per person. In fact, they still emit only about uh, a third as much per person. Well, it's not people related. It's industry related, isn't it? Well, it's all driven by people. It's what we drive, it's what we buy, it's what we do, uh, it's you know how we heat our homes, how we cool. And in China, you go back 20 years, and you know there was a lot more poverty. Mm. Uh, very few people had cars. Most people drove rode bicycles to work. True. Uh, in China, having lived in China for a year, I can tell you, even today, many buildings are not heated in the wintertime. Wow. Many buildings are not air conditioned in the summertime. Well, they don't have the infrastructure, right? Yeah. So okay. they're just, you know, they're adding all these things that we sort of take for granted. Mm-hmm. And along the way, we, we've sometimes been very critical of them for building all of these coal-fired power plants. But, but we and, used to have and, coal-fired and power we plants. Still, we still do. <laughs> we do. That's true. That's We're good still point. operating good tons of coal-fired. You know, here in my part of the country, sadly, uh, about 90% of our my electricity comes from fossil fuels, mostly coal and increasingly Utah? natural gas. Yep. Really? Yeah. I didn't even realize Now that. we're adding renewables. Okay. We're adding renewables quickly, but I oh, your wind think farms are huge out there. Yeah. We're not adding renewables even as fast as we're adding capacity overall. Most of our added capacity is coming in the form of natural gas. So we've got a big, we've got to make big changes in order to switch to a truly renewable energy profile here in the western united states wow. you know our cheap coal and cheap nat- natural gas is such a temptation but even with those things our rocky mountain power that that delivers the power here in utah mm-hmm. to most homes they've admitted that 60% of their cold fire power plants are not economically viable in that they could replace that power with uh, batteries and and windmills mm-hmm. and deliver it cheaper today, uh, but they're not doing it. Oh, and I, they, I re- that's what that's by their own admission. Their own admission. I remember the first time I drove through Salt Lake. Ooh, might be back in 2010, 2009, eh, 2010. Uh, it yeah. was the first time I've seen a massive wind farm. I was coming over some mountain range to drop into Salt Lake, and I. The whole ridge line just covered in, in massive yeah. windmills. I mean, now it's much more popular, right? But I mean, back yeah. then I was like, because I mean, wow. this is 2020, so this is 10 years ago. Yeah. And now, yeah. now I mean, I got wind farms within 30 minutes of where I live now. So yeah. it's impressive to see how how far that's grown. And I get it. There's people out there. I don't I don't get heavily into the politics in the show, but yeah. I know there's people out there like, oh, it's all BS. It doesn't actually do anything. I'm like, well, you got yeah. free wind moving <laughs> yeah. through the atmosphere. If you can right. harness it, it's 
free. <laughs> it's free. That's right. You know, th that's the thing. You build a windmill, you put up a solar panel, mm -hmm. and all the electricity that comes off that forever is free. Yeah. Think about that. And 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 sometimes people get anxious because people do math. They start doing math around, well, you know, the payback is 12 years or 10 years or seven years or 13 years. And they get it in their minds that that's how long a solar panel lasts. Not true. Not very, true. Very a good solar point. Panel I love this because people do say this like, oh, well, you know, the technology is cool, but it's not sustainable that you have to replace those panels in five, 10 years. I'm like, what? are you sure? No, no. Yeah. The solar panels are, are expected to deliver 80% of their original power after 25 years. That's still great. So after 25 years, they're still delivering 80%. Yeah. They will not be worthless even then. They will be incredibly valuable. So they're long, long-lived assets. They'll can, and so the, our cost of energy is going to come way, way down. Fossil fuels made energy cheap. Mm -hmm. Renewables will make it cheaper. It's, yeah. I mean, think about the world we'll live in. You know, I, this is what gets me excited, right? Yeah. I start thinking about now flying cars make sense because, <laughs> right, you use kind of drone technology. If you could cover and, the surface of the vehicle with panels. Well, you don't even, you just charge it, right? Yeah. But it, it's so amazing. And uh, one of the things that people like me have been saying for admitting reluctantly for a while now is that uh, flying can't be fixed very easily. And yet, just in the last few months, I've come to see that we can switch all of our short flights to electric motors. Sure. And if we change all of our short flights to electric vehicles, electric planes, which is doable, right? Sure. The long ones, we can switch to biofuels. And so we can be completely carbon neutral in the air in 20 or 30 years, no problem. That's easy. Okay. We could do it in 10 if we hurry, right? Well, I love the way you started with this. Is I, we, you know, we nickname them, for anybody who's flown a lot, like the puddle jumpers, I like to call them. Yeah, I think, right. I think I, am I dating myself? I think they're still called that. But <laughs> yeah, you know, those smaller planes that are connected, like actually tomorrow morning, no, sorry, not tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, yeah, uh, yeah. I have to fly to Florida. So I have a local airport here, the ABE, Allentown Airport, uh, but they're going to connect me through Philly and then from Philly to Orlando. So I know, obviously, the connection flight to Philly is going to be on one of those puddle jumpers, and that'll get right. transferred over and then continue on probably a larger plane. But even yeah. that larger plane, to go from Philly to uh, Orlando, that's not going to be that big of a plane. It's right. an hour flight, maybe two hours. It's going to be one of those mid-sized planes. You could totally yeah, they, the, the technology is there now, today. They're building those planes. Mm -hmm. um, and they kind of, what I'm hearing is that for flights like Philly to Orlando, that flight is probably, for the rest of this decade, the best they could do is hybrid, uh, where there's some, some battery uh, hybrid situation. But, step right but by the end of the decade, battery technology is expected to be where, yes, you can actually have an all electric flight from uh, Philly to or, uh, Orlando, which is cool. Well, full circle really cool. to your earlier point, Tesla is already predicting it because they just filed for a patent on, right. on battery technology. It's going to last beyond that. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, infinite number of cycles, right? So yeah. that people can, uh, yeah. So it is, it is really, 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 really. Can you imagine? Oh, I just, I just, I'm having, I'm geeking out now. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can you imagine 
Tesla be, continuing to be so successful, they, they finally catch up because one thing they're hurting on is that their demand is there and they just can't turn around manufacturing fast enough. I think it's the only thing that's hurting them. But on the flip side, his other company, you know, SpaceX, I love, I love their Instagram and their social media because they're always showing they're, they're advancing the rocket tech at a whole different level for space. But yeah, can you imagine yeah. having a battery powered spaceship to get <laughs> yeah. from this planet? Uh, they could figure that out. It might not happen in our lifetime. But how crazy yeah. would that be? Like yeah. literally no need for rocket fuel. I don't know. Yeah. Just, that'd be crazy. That would be crazy. Yeah. That would be crazy. But, you know, I think, you know, we're only beginning to understand our potential, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, things we think are impossible will prove to be possible. Yeah. It would be cool. I mean, it, it, again, we never thought the show was going to go this way. That's why I love <laughs> That's why I don't format yeah. my show. I, I want it to be spontane spontaneity and we're hitting it. Um, but again, back to, I want to do tie this back to the big picture for you and your brand yeah. is that I think one of the reasons why you do geek out about this so much is because we've also seen part of this improvement in the world, right? And how, thank you for educating us that from 50% of the population to maybe 10% approximately is a major improvement in 50 years. Is that right? Yeah. 50, yeah. 50 to 10 55. in 55 years. Okay. So, but part of that success, what, something else you just mentioned is how we are a very successful country, but we're also a very giving country. Um, you know, people like me starting up foundations and charities and trying to, trying to, yeah. trying to improve a legacy is a big statement of mine, like make a legacy, make an impact. But that's one of the biggest things behind you. And when you and I talked to help set up the show is that you are a geek about giving back and, <laughs> yeah. and going nonprofit. And my, my one question that was left back from that conversation I wanted for today's show is why? Like when, when and why? Like when did it kick into your head? Or maybe you're always this way. And why has it become so passionate? So yeah. I can answer from my end. But, but and I, we, we need to hear from you. But I'll tell you my story. Yeah. When, when I was 11 years old, um, there was a dam in southern Idaho near the town of Rexburg okay. that failed the first time they filled the dam. Okay. And it, the flood that resulted left about 80% of the structures in Rexburg, Idaho, damaged or destroyed. And wow. So people came from all around the Western United States that summer to help dig muck and mud out of basements. And my dad came to me one day that summer and said, Devin, I'm, I'm going to go up to Rexburg this weekend. Would you like to come? And, you know, digging muck and mud out of basements sounded like a good time to me. So I said, sure, sure, I'd love to go. And, and I did. I mean, I just, what a ball. We got on buses about two o'clock in the morning and drove all night and then uh, got to Rexburg at dawn, worked all day until it got dark, got back on the buses and came home. And I was remember that, was thinking- Was that the Teton Dam? Yeah, yeah, that was the Teton Dam, exactly. So uh, I was just, I mean, I came home thinking I had really made a big difference. Now, as I look back on it, I have to admit, I was probably not one bit of help. Uh, although I tried all day, okay. uh, I was probably in the way we probably required more guidance than I did productive work, but I didn't know that. <laughs> I really believed I'd made a big difference. And I came home That's and I said strange. to myself, I'm never going to miss an opportunity to do that again. I'm bringing uh, up some photos here for our video watchers. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Some wild, wild, uh, images. So this is yeah, ac actual live shots from, I mean, how long ago was this? This was 1976. Wow. So they, they must have, and there was so much water, they got there in time to get some aerial photos of, yeah. of the breach. And then you look at this yeah. massive, massive wall collapse. All yeah. that water. That's yeah. crazy. It was. It was just crazy. So, 
um, you know, it was a life-changing experience for me. And of course, I, I didn't really own like I should have that, that obligation that I'd made to myself that I would keep, uh, you know, I would never miss an opportunity to serve. I, I did miss lots of opportunities to serve. But when I got fired from the best job I'd ever had nearly a decade ago, I decided to sort of channel that enthusiasm of my youth to do more good in the world. And so I kind of recast myself as a champion of social good. Hmm. And so, so that's, you, that's could thank my your, you could thank your childhood experiences. Yeah, See, this, this is, for sure. Dude, I love this because I tell people all the time, like, I know it's it, it's not always this simple, but maybe it is. This whole theme of, I, I just did this on a podcast today. I'm like, guys, get outside. Like th this year, I started a new format where fr fr Fridays are now Fuel Up Friday. I want to fuel people up. It's a solo thing. I've always had guest co-hosts, but I have a message to share, and I've had people ask me to start doing some shorter format solo shows. So we're testing that out right now. But this is what I've, I just got done venting about. I'm like, people, are, you want to create change? Get outside. Like you need you need to immerse yourself in the experience. So yes, you just said how your dad got you in there, and you you tried doing some things, and maybe you were in the way, but I think the real message you we're taking out of this is that you might have been in the way at that time, but look at the sustainable impact that it created in your life. Yeah. And now yeah. I'd like to think I have done some good since then. <laughs> I mean, and, and it certainly created the passion in me. So I, I think the world, including the people who had to help me through that day are glad I went. They, they, the adults in the room hoped little Devin would get something from that experience, hmm. right? They they wanted me to take this away from it, and miraculously, I did. I, I took the lesson. Well, I mean, it's and, a clear lesson. Really took it to heart. I mean, here I actually got to share one more time while we're on the subject. Here's a fo old photograph of the town, and it looks like from this angle that three quarters of the town is underwater. Oh yeah. I mean, other than this yeah. one little spot here on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, about thirteen. People were killed, oh. uh, but you know, of course, the animal uh, fatalities, mostly farm animals, was it was devastating. Yeah, look at this mud. People didn't have a time to get their farm animals out. But this is this is what you guys were doing, right? Yeah, Shit. yeah. That looks about. I remember right. the house that we worked on. It was weird. It had actually we went toward the end of the summer. The the flood happened in early June. We went at the end of August, and. Um, the house was like the opposite of what you would have found in most situations. Hmm. You kind of picture a house with the, everything's gone except the fireplace, right? You'd see the brick chimney and everything else was intact. Well, in this house, uh, the brick chimney had broken away. Wow. And so they condemned the house thinking it was not recoverable. But when they came back and looked at it more carefully, they realized, oh, the house is still on its foundation, can rebuild the chimney, uh, you know, remove the floorings, dig the muck out of the basement. And uh, so we came in that day and we did. We removed uh, the upstairs flooring and dug the muck and mud out of the basement and got them ready to start rebuilding. Wow. So anyway, it was it was a cool experience. That's amazing. See, for me, I've always been trying to trace my obsession, and I think, I mean, the Regal's impact. Well, part of my story in the in the fire is obviously being a uh, took a couple of years and served as a hotshot wildland firefighter with the U.S. Fire Service. And people are like, oh, so you're one of those kids that always want to be a firefighter? And I'm like, 
No. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember my childhood ever thinking, oh, this is what I, I never had a, one of those goals. I can't explain it. Like, yeah. I was a farm kid. I was working all the time and everything else, but I never like, oh my God, one day I'm going to be this. I don't know. They say all kids do. I don't remember any of that. So I can fast forward to my 20s and I worked my way into the corporate space. I was doing telecom and call centers and customer service and I worked my way up in a couple different companies. No college degree. I started taking classes on the side and I eventually you know, worked hard and on nights and weekends and paid my way through through uh, university. But at that time, I was just, hey, man, work hard and you can get promoted and make more money. That was my thing. And then 9-11 hit. And at the time, I was managing, I don't know if I was even managing yet, but I was working my way up in a company called T-Mobile. Maybe you heard oh, yeah. of that. Sure. And we had a huge call center here in Pennsylvania. And we had probably over 600 employees. And I was a coach for them. I was probably coaching 20, 30-person teams. Anyway, uh, 9-11 hits. I'm also bartending in my free time, right? And actually, that day, I was supposed to go bartending and the way my schedule worked. And I was and obviously, plane hits a tower. So I, I get to the restaurant. I'm setting up the bar, and I got the TV on. I'm like, what is going on? And then the next day, I go to work, and I find out, like, they're trying to, you know, set up emergency cell phone signals. Like, you know, we lost the tower. There's, there was a big antenna array on top of one of those World Trade Centers. And when that went down, man, they lost so much communication. And T-Mobile was one of the first companies to get cell support going. Like, they shipped in pallet loads of cell phones, completely unlocked, ready to go for emergency personnel. They're just throwing them at everybody. And they rolled in with mobile towers, uh, that could be pulled behind a truck, like they these transponders, just to get, and they had to use a lot of them, obviously, because you don't have the height. So they had all they cared about was getting signal going and getting communication going. It was awesome, and I can I can say I was like, yeah, I, I give a shout out to T-Mobile, man. They they did a lot to build my career, and I learned a lot from that experience. But that left a lasting impact because I sat there in my cubicle and I'm like, I want to be there, you know, I want to be in it, you know, I. And I had a big tug of war, and I didn't do it. I did, I could have I could have just left work and drove to the city. But back to your point, right? It's like, what kind of impact could I have really had? I wasn't trained in emergency personnel. Um, I you know I was trained in CPR and stuff like that. But I was in my twenties. I don't have any of that training, and I think that lasted in me for a while. And I, and I started volunteering with actually a local charity. We were uh, we were raising money. Actually, it was called Green Hope Charities. Not around anymore, but we raised money for local ca- cancer vaccine research. And that was my opening into charity work, volunteer work. And then, you know, again, fast forward to my third, you know, I turned 30. And the next thing you know, I'm saying I'm leaving all the corporate world behind. I'm going to go be, become a wildland firefighter. So there's a lot of stuff that happened in between there. But I think it took a major impact, like 9-11, you know, to, to shift me. And as there's actually, isn't there a book called The Shift? <laughs> or something like that. I'm sure there is. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff. There's pl- a lot of gurus out there talking about the power of shifting and pivoting and being prepared to make those changes. And I could, I could at least to tie it in with you is just, I didn't, I probably wouldn't have made a major impact on nine 11, but at least it made an impact on me to make a change and start doing all the things that has fast forward to today. And now I'm 42. Yeah. So, well, I, I, I'm, I'm impressed that you have, taken that energy in such a positive direction. Uh, I commend you for that. Uh, I'm afraid, I think it was many people to have 
done in one way or another, they have taken the, the tragedy and gone in a positive direction. I sometimes see evidence of people going in less than positive directions, right? True. Uh, focusing on villains, vilifying entire populations. A lot of negativity. Uh, a lot of yeah, yeah. Like, we have and a that choice, kind of, right? Positive energy or negative energy? What creates yeah. the most change? Positive. Yeah. Well, certainly. Yeah, I commend you yeah. for that positive energy. Well, I mean, I commend you too because it's you and I having this conversation today. Like, if we get through to just one person, right? That's what. That's one thing I've learned over the years. We don't need to change hundreds of thousands of people. Granted, some podcasts can. Maybe this yeah. podcast could change a lot of people's mindset. I I, I could only hope. Yeah, um, yeah. it's one of the reasons why I launched the show is like, I need to start getting some voice out there and start creating some more positive energy because I truly do actually believe in something called the law of attraction. I do in some, in the beginning was kind of hokey to me, but when you surround yourself with the right people, the right energy, amazing things can happen. You're, you're always going to have people vilifying and trying to, I mean, even after 9-11, there's people stealing money. They were falsely raising money. This stuff has happened with Haiti since and all kinds of other things happening in the world. Uh, it's, it's always going to happen. There's always going to be evil, so to speak, in the world. But yeah. if we can create enough positive change, we will slowly, if not greatly, overcome all of that. You just, yeah. you just tied together at the beginning of this show the timeline about, again— just 55 years ago, 50% of the world, you know, I mean, yeah. now 10%. Yeah. So that's a pretty big number. Yeah. You know, it, it is exciting. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, is exciting, too, is on climate change. I'm a big, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an activist. I'm kind of out there, I'm, you know, trying to get people to pay attention and, take it seriously. And so I'm certainly one who has called on, uh, you know, the rhetoric that's that you that we hear, and sometimes that rhetoric is negative, but, but really exciting in the last 30 days, the best science is saying, you know what, we've turned a corner, hmm. we really have, we're the rate at which we're using uh, coal, especially has been reduced sufficiently that the worst case scenarios are gone. They're off the table. Hmm. It's not gonna happen. So we, we've taken the worst case scenario from five degrees of climate uh, temperature increase Celsius to three degrees. Really the worst case scenario now is three degrees. Now three degrees could still be devastating. It'll be horrible. It'll cause mass migrations. You know, oh, yeah. it, it's bad. I don't want to, I don't want to be The coastlines about will it. change. Yeah. Hands down. But, but it is so incredibly inspiring to think even with the slow progress we're making and our slow responses that we have made meaningful, real progress. And I get excited thinking about this next, next decade, you know, the electric Hummer, it's like the embodiment of my hope. You still now blew my because, mind on that one. <laughs> yeah, I know, isn't it? My, but that's how we get all of the people who say, I'll never drive an electric car to drive an electric car. It's going to be an electric Mustang or an electric uh, Hummer or something that resonates with their inner machismo that says, I'll never drive an electric car. Well, think about it. You know what? I hate to, I, had, I agree with you. I got to pause. Like, 
wow, like think about this. Would we have ever expected a vehicle that was designed and built for the military that yeah. eventually became a sign of wealth or machismo, like oh, yeah. I got a manly vehicle yeah. Yeah. in this country, to being discontinued, then bring, being brought back as a green vehicle. Yeah. Never would have expected that. Yeah. Like you blew my mind today. <laughs> yeah, it is it is an exciting thing to think about. And I mean, and kudos to a company like GM. I mean, yeah. 2008, 2009, they got their butts pulled out, out of a downward spiral by our government. All right, they they should not have survived. A lot of companies yeah. should not have survived. Uh, yeah. And some people are still talking about that. Whatever. But it's like, okay, yeah. so you have a choice. How are you going to come back, right? Like yeah. if you are still one of the world's largest automotive manufacturers, you have a choice in what you're doing in this world. What are you going to do? You know, I mean, it's funny because I remember when the Volt came out and I was like, okay, I mean, it's still, I think it's still going. They're still making it. They, they, they have canceled the Volt. Oh, they don't make Volts anymore. Okay. Well, a bit, but Hey, it was, but it was a great car. It was a great car. It was it a great transition job. to the Volt. It did its job in the timeline, you know, baby mm -hmm. steps. But now it's like, you're going from the Volt to a green Hummer. I don't yeah. know. This is it's pretty cool. Yeah. If this, no, if this I, gets I, put on that Super Bowl, I wasn't even going to sure if I was going to watch the Super Bowl. Well, now I got to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> you got to watch the Super Bowl just to see the new Hummer. And it's yeah. not it's not just for the fun fun commercials. So yeah, yeah, this is exciting. It is great. It so is for great. somebody like you who stands for social impact and tries to get companies to, I'll say, it, pull their heads out of their asses and make <laughs> a make a positive impact in this world, that has to be exciting for you. Oh, it is. It is. You know, just uh, a few weeks ago, I wrote a little piece about uh, uh, the BlackRock CEO, what's his name? Fink, Larry Fink. Okay. Uh, you know, he said that he was, it is the duty of all corporations to do good in the world. And we have to be held accountable as business owners for the for a po having a positive impact. Okay. And then he called out climate as the world's biggest problem. And and said that he will now require all of his portfolio companies to meet one of two or perhaps both reporting standards on uh, environmental issues, which is huge. Okay. Now, I think a lot of people have missed one thing about that. BlackRock has $7 trillion under management. Wow. They have shares in most public companies. Uh, they have shares in millions, well, I shouldn't say millions, but thousands of private companies. When BlackRock says, this is now required, you have to do environmental reporting and we're gonna hold you to make environmental progress as well based on that reporting, that matters because if you are a portfolio company, you have to do it. And if you want to be a BlackRock portfolio company, if you want an investment from BlackRock, you've got to now meet this standard. And that is exciting. I mean, we're going to have every country in the or every company in the world now is going to have to get serious about this because they will miss the opportunity to be eligible for investment if they're not meeting these simple environmental reporting standards and from once you start to measure it it's so much easier to modify it improve it and so this it's huge it's huge it's when game you, changing when did that article go up let's see beginning of january what's your title the, let's see i'm actually on it right now yeah 
I actually had that up. Actually, I had Forbes up with your profile. I mean, just some screen sharing, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. There he is. He's yeah, not kidding. Sure. Forbes.com. Just search for Devin Thorpe. Yeah. Uh, he's got silky bamboo sheets. I write a lot, so you may. Yeah, you do. You're like more. every week. Yeah, so there it is. It's it's the article called "If Larry Fink Can Drive BlackRock Towards Sustainability, There Is No Excuse for the Rest of Us." Oh wait, is that which one is that? That one is that this? Yeah, I think you got to click on uh, the more articles carbon? there. No, keep going oh. down just a little bit. More articles, and then it's there. It is. There's the BlackRock. Okay. There you go. There we go. Actually, that one's got better views than some of your other articles. So that one's you yes. definitely hit a hit a <laughs> you definitely yeah. hit on something here. What I was excited about last summer is I wrote a piece about an organization called uh, Project Drawdown that focuses on 100 solutions to climate change. Hmm. And uh, what the the guy I interviewed was the CEO of the organization, and he said that climate change is the business the biggest business opportunity in human history. Hmm. So I used that statement as the headline for the article and it got 180,000 views, 90%, you know, 90% of those in the first 48 hours. It was great. It was so exciting to see people actually reading an article about climate change. Well, you know what? You hit on a very hot topic because anybody involved in business, finance, investing, you know, they're trying to figure out what the next big thing is. And everybody makes – there's a lot of people on one side of the fence making fun of green energy, but it's like, okay, well, as you just pointed out, or we, we mentioned earlier in the show, Tesla, uh, GM making you know the Hummer. These are all green projects. So clearly there's money being spent. There's money being invested. So you got to pay attention. Oh, yeah. Just think about the infrastructure we need for charging vehicles, mm-hmm. right? Uh, vehicle chargers, I think the idea of having a specific place you go to get electricity, like we go to get gas, right? I think that's going to go away. Um, what we'll do is we'll charge when we're at the movie theaters. We'll yeah. charge when we're e- eating dinner. We're going to charge when we're at home. We're going to charge everywhere we go. There will just be chargers in the parking spot. That's how you'll know it's a parking spot because there's a little plug. Look at te- look at Tesla. Uh, so uh, my brother-in-law, right? So he paid to have a charging station put in his house, and mm-hmm. then he put it, he paid to have a charging portal or whatever you need at his mm-hmm. office uh, for mm-hmm. him and his cousin. And then about 10 minutes from my house, in a parking lot between a uh, – uh, I think it's Red Robins is a chain grocery store, mm-hmm. chain restaurant, right. but and the movie theater. It's right next to the movie theater. There's a huge eight-station or a 10-station lightning charging, whatever you call that, quick yeah. charging options. And I see – because then five minutes down the road from that is the turnpike, the major interstate. Right. So when people are traveling, they're getting off and pulling yep. in there and either going to go to dinner or they're going to go to a movie while their vehicle yep. charges. So. Yep. And it's – I mean, it is just so cool to think about – how that changes. I, I yeah. just get excited. I just well, get it's excited. Like, well, that, and everybody, see, funny, everybody complains right now because like, oh, I can't buy a Tesla yet. And I say, why? And they say, well, I'll find a way to afford it, but I'm worried about charging, right? Like, yeah. for example, me, I, I travel so much. I'm already starting to crunch numbers. I'm like, hmm, 2020, 2021, you know, depending on how the Subaru goes, like, can I pull off a Tesla? Can I make it work with my business travels because I travel such yeah. great distance? Because, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a heavy jet setter. I prefer a road trip. I love yeah. seeing the country. So yeah. if I'm going within five hours or less, like I, I've drive to Buffalo, New York, I don't care. 
So yeah. <laughs> well, that new that. model three, the new model three right now has uh, a long range version that will go 370 miles. Okay. So that's certainly your, in your five hour range. So that's then you just cool. have to find a way to charge at the end of the road before you come back. And that's getting easier and easier and easier, more charging options every day. Uh, so that's a possibility. And I just read today, today, I just read very exciting. Tesla's Model S is going to get a new upgrade to 120 kilowatt hour batteries that will push the range on those on their long range Model S to 500 miles. Well, and I uh, think they're they just traded their that yeah six months ago. I don't know if they were leasing the Teslas or I don't know if you, I guess you can. They traded their Teslas in their Type S's and got new mm-hmm. type, type S's. So they still they love the they love, yeah. they love the Type S. I don't. Oh, know. they're fat, beautiful cars. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that new truck. Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the, the Cybertruck. That is fugly. I mean, just <laughs> fugly. I was like, dude, I love you. I love your company. You're trying too hard to be edgy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Literally, literally, it's edgy. But I get it. He yeah. wanted to reduce the manufacturing costs because it does cost more to make aerodynamic paneling and, and it takes yeah. longer to manufacture and everything else. So that's just like cut, cut, weld, <laughs> yeah, and you're done. But I was like, ooh. It does look like a six-year-old was their designer, right? I mean, even in, the, even in the 60s and <laughs> 70s, they still bent the metal. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's like they did everything possible not to bend anything. Yeah. But who knows? Yeah, Maybe I, I'm wrong. Maybe that thing is going to crush it. I, you know, I the the 500 mile range is really appealing to people uh, for good reasons. I mean, most people won't drive 500 miles in a day, hmm. uh, and if you've got a decent charger option, uh, you can charge to a full battery overnight. And do yeah. it again. And I've, admittedly, I haven't done a coast to coast road trip in a while. I agree with you. I mean, even when I'm driving to Rochester or Syracuse, I still get off and fuel up. Now, granted, if they yeah. did, if they can improve that technology, get that fast, quick charge going, yeah, I'm fine. But yeah, and uh, you know, the Tesla now has chargers that will charge at a rate of 250 kilowatts, uh, which means that if you have a 120, which is the very biggest battery they make in any of their production cars, now that they've announced the 120 kilowatt hour batteries on their Model S's, Okay. So if you have a charger that's charging at a rate of 250, that means you could charge that whole battery 30 minutes of the long range. You could put 500 miles of range back on your car in 30 minutes. I am that. I am willing. Would you, you would buy that. I am willing to make a, I could, I could totally build that into my travel plan. That's beyond doable. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of getting all of those super fast chargers deployed, but as a more practical matter, there are lots of 50 kilowatt chargers out there. Mm-hmm. And if you need it, you can charge 50 kilowatts in an hour in most electric vehicles, that's going to be, uh, hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles of range that you just added. That's doable. So it's only the only time you have to worry is literally that cross country trip. Uh, where you've got to figure out how to charge over and over and over and over again. And again, the a- the average person how? doing that now here, nobody does. Here's that. the hack, because we are coming to the end of the show, but I'm yes. geeking. Yeah, the coast to coast. If we if we are not going to reinvest in our amazing 
historically successful railroad networks that built this country. That's yeah. a whole different podcast. <laughs> yeah. Then, and we're still getting- a great topic. Oh, yeah. Uh, frustrates the hell out of me. Now, granted, I'm a cyclist, so I like seeing the old rail beds turned into rails to trails. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, admittedly, like, I'm an hour and a half from New York City, and we have old rail lines that go there, and they're not- they, they spent like a million dollars a couple of years ago on a research and they said it wasn't worth it. And I'm like, it wasn't worth it. My area in Allentown, Pennsylvania has been blowing up for 10 years of people moving out of expensive New Jersey and expensive New York, moving here and then commuting back to make their higher salaries. Yeah. You have a market. There is a market. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, and, and, you know, the state and the federal government need to get together and figure out how to subsidize that to make it work. It, it works for everybody. It works for the planet. Works for the commuters. Works for the community. Works for everybody. I I'm with you, but I, I, the, the point I was going to make though was like, dude, quick recharging eighteen wheelers. Yeah. Oh, they're coming. They're coming. It's got it. It's so exciting. They've already got the. I mean, all they have yeah. to do is justify and self driving. Well, there's oh yeah that that's already I mean that's already been in the movies. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean I hate to joke around about movies, but if it goes into the movies. It's probably it's probably gonna happen. Yeah. So yeah. uh because they're just testing out the theory to see if people like it or not. Um yeah. I'd actually I read a great article the other day about self-driving tractors and realized that uh we will probably see self-driving tractors, fully automated farms oh, yeah. uh really, really soon. And 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 that is really encouraging because some of the work that they replace is just such backbreaking, miserable work. I know. I, I'm surrounded by within an hour of here, where my, my parents live about an hour west of here on the way to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. They're surrounded by Amish Mennonite farms. And the mm. Amish are very adamant about doing it old school. You know, oh, horse, yeah. horse horse, and long hours in the field with their horses. And, oh. and granted, that's going to be too high tech for them to embrace. But yeah. all this corporate farming and everything else, they would embrace that. One of the things that came out of this article that I read was that the the self-driving tractors will be small. So large farms will buy lots and lots of them. Okay. Small farmers will buy just a few. And so it means that it changes the economics for small farming because they will really have the same economics as the large farms. Hmm. So it really could be the savior of family farming. Which I thought was a really well, cool aspect. Well, in, in the of that. Midwest and out west, you've you've actually brought up a very valid point. There's a lot of struggling farms. They barely get by. They depend on uh, the tax subsidizing and everything else to help them survive. And it's like, yeah, to your point, it's like, wait a minute, like, what if they weren't breaking their backs and they had a sustainable farm equipment that also cost less to repair? Yeah. Yeah. We're blowing people's there, minds. There, right there are great things coming. I, I get so excited about the future, I can't stand it. Dude, I, you got I me. I mean, I'm, I'm normally tomorrow. excited about the future for positive change, but like, I, I wasn't sure how today's show was going to go. Man, I'm like, dude, I'm geeking out. And I, now, like all weekend, actually, when I when I'm on my flight on Sunday, I'm going to be digging deeper into your uh, your page on Forbes because now I want to go read more of your articles. Uh, so thanks for you know, distracting me with that. <laughs> it's, it's a good distraction. Um, uh, cause that's the other thing. I'm going to make sure all this stuff is linked in your supporting blog article when the show goes up. Cause again, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, and I'll do it real quick for a screen share again. When you, all you got to do actually is it's really simple. You just Google Devin Thorpe and Forbes. Uh, but I'll have the link on the, on livethefuel.com. Like you yeah. can just do forbes.com slash sites slash Devin Thorpe. He has his own page of all of his articles on here. So, 
because uh, you've been writing for a long time for them. So there's, yeah, yeah. there's going like to be a lot of like 600 articles results. now. <laughs> now, again, also, you obviously do have your own site too, devinthorpe.com. So yep. we have that option available, ladies and gentlemen, too. And now do you have your, your Forbes stuff linked from your main page as well? Um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think you can get there. Okay, get cool. There. So, well, listen, we are coming to the end of the show, and I got to respect your time because you got to get back over to an event that you're yeah, attending. Yeah, I've got to go hear Mark Zuckerberg speak. I know, right? So what is he speaking yeah. on? Uh, he's talking about uh, tech uh, at this tech conference. Okay. Uh, but it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, I, I'm one who was just, you know, an almost um, – you know, just adoring fan, even a few years ago, because I just, I have loved social media, but, yeah. but I saw the way Facebook uh, was abused in the last election, I think. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, I think, I think we can rely on, you know, 18 intelligence departments in the federal government who made clear that Facebook got played by the Russians in the last election. Yeah. And um, and some of the research I've done since then suggests that Facebook was at least a knowing victim, if that makes any sense. A knowing, oh, they, they know where people victim. are dialing in from. Come on, yeah. they're a high tech company. So, yeah. So it's it, it, I am I now go to this with a different ear. I'm trying to think how should I think about Mark Zuckerberg? How mm-hmm. should, so I'm really intrigued. I, I, I'm going with an open mind, but with a, a a more healthy journalistic skepticism than I had before. Not so much a fanboy. Well, and I've always tried to not be a fanboy in a lot of things. I think it's important to stay neutral and really see things from both sides of the fence. Actually, there's a great lesson to take away with. Like, yes, yeah. take a deep breath, pause, and say, okay, let me – this happens to so many things in life. But, yeah, let's let's look at all angles. And so many people jump right – and that's the problem with social media. And I do social media marketing as a business. So, uh, But – we move too fast. And even though this is great for full circle on the show today, earlier we talked about how great it's been in the past 55 years that we've advanced, you know, uh, the low income and, and everything else. Yeah. But now it's like, but there's also some side effects of that. We have so much technology and we are moving so fast that people don't pause, don't take a deep breath, don't think about their actions. They don't even proofread an email before they send it. <laughs> yeah. uh, they leave a voicemail before they even thought about it, before they <laughs> left it. And then they're like, oh, my God, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> okay, why don't you think before you act? Yeah, yeah. That's a good takeaway. <laughs> yes, that is a great takeaway. It's a well, great takeaway. Well, well, listen, you've made a lot of positive impact in the world already. I, I'm honored that you've, I've had you on the show as well today. And because you've done so much journalistic impact and you believe so much in, in a lot of, and I, again, love the backstory of Teton Dan and everything else. That, that was awesome. Um, but I ask my guest co-host when we close the show out to leave behind some final words. Like if they forget all the other great stuff that you and I, Joe had a fun with today, it's like, you know what? This is Devin Thorpe. This is his mission. This is what he's doing moving forward. Like, is there an all encompassing statement or legacy message you're trying to put out there for some final words? Yeah, I, I, there, there is, and I, I, I would want to encourage everyone to find a way to do good. And there are a lot of people in the world who don't share any of my politics, whom I have learned to love deeply, and I see the value they bring to the world, the good that they're doing. So however you choose to do good, do good. I'm with you. Hmm, I like that. So we can sum this up as if it's, if it's good, do it. 
Yeah. Okay. I like that. That that easy. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. A lot of people make it too hard. Yeah. That's a good message. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we, we make a lot of things too hard in this world. And I love David's final words here. Just choose the good. That's, is that so hard? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I want to give you proper goodbye off the air. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you love today's show. I'm a bit of a geek for Devin. So, uh, I mean, a lot of people out there might be geeks for Mark Zuckerberg's. I say maybe change your idea and go with some positive impact in the world, which that's what Devin stands for. So, again, uh, we're going to have everything linked in the show notes like we always do. I'm going to do one more screen share here again for the Facebook Live and what will end up on YouTube. Again, check him out at Devin Thorpe, with an E on the end, dot com. He's doing a lot of great things. He's, uh, he's over in my one of my favorite states of Utah, which hopefully I'm going to go out to in the next few weeks. Uh, actually, we'll be discussing that this evening over dinner to see where we're skiing next. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. I know you'll have some great tidbits and nuggets of knowledge to take out of today's episode. So thanks for tuning in. And remember, you too can live the fuel. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com.